Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be with you again here uh, today on this very gray morning here in the city, but um, hopefully there is some light in the reflections that we'll have and in the text that we'll be reading through today. We are uh, just started into a sermon series called Inside Out, where we explode, explode, explore. Uh, the human emotions as we look at the book of Psalms. And today we'll be looking at uh, Psalm 83. And so here these words, it has, it's one of those passages in the Bible where there are lots of hard words that always intimidate people. And uh, it even intimidates me. So uh, I'll give it a bit, my best shot today as I read through these words from Psalm 83. Oh God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. Even now your enemies are in tumult. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against those you protect. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. They conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites... Moab and the Hagrites, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabits, inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria also has joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Do to them as you did to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the Wadi Kaishan, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb all their princes like Zeba and Zamuna, who said, Let us take the pastures of God for our own possession. O oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, so pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame, so that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace. Let them know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. The word of God for the people of God. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. So I go to see a spiritual director about once a month to reflect on my own spiritual life and uh, hopefully she sees some things that I don't see so that I can put things in perspective and continue to deepen my own faith as well. And so I went to see her on Monday and had a really good uh, session with her. And as I was leaving, was feeling in very good spirits. And so as I was driving home, Monday's my day off. And so as I was driving home, I was feeling like a chocolate shake. Uh, and so I thought, oh, I think I'm going to treat myself today to a chocolate shake. And so I was looking around and there was a McDonald's. Now McDonald's doesn't have the best chocolate shakes in the world. They're not the worst. So I thought, all right, it's what's in front of me. I'll stop here. And I pulled in and went inside to order a chocolate shake. And as the person was getting it and he gave it to me and I'd forgotten as he handed it to me that McDonald's puts whipped cream and a cherry on top of their chocolate shakes, which I really don't like a whole lot. So there was something within me that just kind of went, and then later on that afternoon, I got a phone call from the infamous unknown caller. An unknown caller seemingly has been calling me 
at least twice a day over the last two weeks, and I keep ignoring it, thinking they will eventually stop calling, but they don't stop calling. And so something within me just went, ugh. And then as I was driving home, of course, traffic in Chicago is a challenge. I don't think you ever really get used to it. And so people are pulling out in front of you and they're in your own mind driving uh, crazily. And so something is building within you. And then as the week goes along and I realize I'm preaching on anger this week. And so I start making a list of the things that make me angry. And I put down those things on my list and all the articles that I read about racist things that people say. And executives who are denying climate change and people who can't get their act together in power and all of these things begin to build up within me. And I keep thinking and praying and God is speaking to me saying, you know, you're preaching on anger this week. And I realize as I look over the five different emotions that we are reflecting on, fear, anger, Disgust, sadness, and joy. Anger is the one, I think, that probably I have the most issues with. So it's a good thing that I preach on it, but I probably also need to listen to a few sermons on it myself. But it was good for me to really explore and unpack what is anger and what do we do with it. Well, as I noted earlier, we're doing this sermon series where we're looking at our emotions and we're looking through the book of Psalms. And last week, I noticed, I re, uh, remembered in my podcast that I really didn't talk a whole lot about the Psalms. Uh, it's probably one of the more recognizable books in the Bible. Uh, often you can find it pretty close to the middle, right in the middle of, of the scriptures. And it's always a really good place, I think, for people to start if they're feeling intimidated by the Bible. The Psalms is really a collection of prayers and songs, which were composed throughout Israel's history. It's divided up into five sections, and many scholars believe that it has a connection to the first five books of the Torah, or as we would in the Christian faith say, the first five books of the Old Testament. There's connections between those five sections and the first five books of the Torah. Many uh, of the Psalms say that they were written by David, though scholars aren't completely sure whether that's true or not. But the great thing, the Psalms has always been one of my favorite parts of the Bible, mainly because they get very emotional. They hold nothing back. Talk about vulnerability and showing who you truly are and not caring what people think. If that's your thing, go to the Psalms. Because sometimes the Psalms even make us a little uncomfortable with just how emotional they get, just how much uh, in, how much insight they give into really our deep and dark thoughts and, and secrets and feelings. And they're in the Bible for all of us to see. So we look at Psalm 83 today as we reflect on anger and Psalm, the psalmist who wrote 83 has some anger issues. And on the one hand, uh, you might understand why. There are some injustices being done. The psalmist has some enemies, or at least he names the enemies that have been enemies of Israel. And so, especially in verses 6 through 8, there's this list of different foes who have come up against uh, Israel. And this list is a little unusual in the psalms. And some aren't exactly sure what the history is of this, but it shows how people can respond when they have been victimized, when they have been treated unjustly. 
And there is something within them. It's the anger and also vengeance. I don't know if you picked up on the vengeance that's coming up in here. The psalmist is saying, God, I want you to do these really awful things to my enemies because they are enemies, because they are treating us unjustly, because they are treating us violently. And there's that gut instinct that we go to God saying, I want you to do to them what they are doing to us. We all have those feelings. And for me, I feel a little comforting knowing that I'm not alone in this, that this psalmist is talking about it too. But does that mean then that vengeance is right? Or is this really a reflection on our emotions and anger? And then for us to reflect on and think about, all right, what do we do with anger? What do we do when we have these feelings of of vengeance? Do we want to seek revenge against somebody? Well, let's take a look at, at anger a book that I would highly, highly recommend. I'm going to be talking about two books, but one in particular that people may not know a whole lot about. It's actually from a study or from a, um, an eight-week small group put out uh, by Upper Room Books, which is part of the United Methodist Church. And it's the Companions in Christ series, and they have an eight-week study called The Way of Forgiveness. And if you go on Amazon and you look up The Way of Forgiveness and Companions in Christ, and you look up the participants book, you can buy it used for a penny, and you pay the $3.99 for shipping, so for 4 bucks, and it's so good, and I would highly recommend it. It's not very long. It's only a little more than 100 pages. The reading is very easy, and so, but it's so rich and so in-depth, and so that was a really helpful thing for me this week because two of the chapters in that study have to do with anger. And I remember when I led this study several years ago, and in reading the chapters on anger. One chapter is called Facing Our Anger, and the other is called Transforming Anger. And I remember thinking that at the same time, and it really opened up my eyes to anger and the anger that, that I deal with in my own life as well. The author of the study is a woman named Marjorie Thompson, and she talks about anger really as a tool in that it's, it's neutral. It's not necessarily, I think sometimes when we think about anger, we think it's a negative thing. But but really, we should maybe think of it as, as a neutral thing. It's not necessarily good or bad. It can be used for good things. But so often, we let it control us, and it moves us to do things that will harm others and may harm ourselves as well. I like to think of it, if you ever do any cooking at all, I don't do a ton of cooking, but when I do do it, especially when I have a pot of boiling water on the stove, whether I'm cooking pasta or maybe I'm cooking oatmeal. And of course, if you turn that flame on and you get it to be boiling, and then especially I can never quite get the exact temperature on oatmeal. But when I make homemade oatmeal, I put the oatmeal in and I set the flame of where I think it is and I make it distracted or I may not be paying much attention to it. And so that flame is on higher than it needs to be. And you know what happens, of course, it starts to bubble up. And then the water starts to come out the pot. And then the oatmeal follows, and it just makes an unbelievable mess. I think for me, as I thought about it this week, that's a really good way for me to think about a good metaphor for anger. If we are able to use it in a really productive way, it can be great. It can be used to cook things, equating it to this flame. It can be used for all kinds of great things. But if we don't pay attention to it, if we don't watch it closely, then it can erupt. And it can make a huge mess. Well, let's take a look a little bit about the kinds of anger maybe that we deal with. And again, this comes from their resource, The Way of Forgiveness. And Marjorie Thompson in this book talks about four types of anger. And she names them as irritation, frustration, hostility, and rage. 
So irritation or kind of a low level anger. Frustration is when we feel like our efforts or designs are blocked in some way. Sometimes when we try to control the behavior of someone else, that can lead to frustration. There's hostility or resentment, and that's directed toward ourselves or for uh, others. Active, active hostility is often a hard to hide, but it can affect our voice, our facial expression, our, our body language. Some people can disguise it and really uh, have it affect us internally. And then there's rage, and often I think we can kind of know what rage looks like, and we can see it, resi- or we can see it evidently. And so the thing about anger, when I first read this too, that was one of the aha moments. Whenever I thought about anger before reading through this study several years ago, I always thought of rage, like that's anger. I never thought about irritation and frustration as parts of anger. But when I read this, I realized how much of my life I spend being irritated and how much of my life I spend being frustrated with others. And I let that build up within me and I can tell and I can feel just how much that affects me in my own life. And that's not a good feeling. And when I read that, I thought, I have anger issues. And so what am I going to do to reflect on it? And how can anger also be used for good as well? Well, the study talks a little bit about the difference between righteous anger and self-righteous anger. And so trying to maybe ask, answer some questions, we pay it close attention like we would pay it close attention to the flame on a stovetop. We have to pay a close attention to our anger. And we feel that anger, we do a self-check of sorts. Is this kind of righteous anger or self-righteous anger? Meaning, if it's righteous anger, is the thing that's making us angry mean that we see something or experience something? And this is one way, I think. Does that mean that it's related to the great commandments of loving God and loving neighbor as self? Is our anger rooted in a breach of love for God and anger? What's beneath that anger? If we see something being done and those commandments of love of God and love of neighbor of being self are being broken by somebody else and we sense that and that is the thing that is stirring up anger within us, that can actually be a good thing because that can propel us to act to make sure that those commandments aren't being broken. So here's an example of that. We can read this about Jesus, and as a matter of fact, in the book of Mark. So in Mark 3, there's a story of Jesus going into his synagogue on the Sabbath, and there's a man there with a withered hand. And there are religious leaders there who are watching Jesus to see what he's going to do. Will he cure this man on the Sabbath, and therefore will he break the laws? And one translation said, this is Mark 3, 5, says this, that Jesus looked around at these religious leaders and, quote, with anger and sorrow at their obstinate stupidity, unquote. I love that because so often we may think to ourselves, how can you be so stupid? Now, for me, I don't know about you, for me, that's more self-righteous, meaning how can you be so stupid because I'm the one who's being put out here? Not necessarily that there are any commandments of love of God and love of neighbor being broken, but instead, I'm thinking only about me. I'm thinking somewhat selfishly. Here, Jesus is using this angry for a productive way because he then heals this man in the face of these religious leaders who would let the law stand in the way of healing and wholeness. And in this way, this is an appropriate emotion. Jesus is using his anger for healing. 
and not for revenge, not to lash out, not let that anger spill out against these religious leaders. And that's the whole thing is letting that we may use anger and not letting anger use us. And for me, as I've been thinking about it this week too, and in, in thinking about uh, and checking myself, am I angry because I'm being put out in some form or fashion? Or am I angry because God's commandment of love of God and love of neighbor self are being broken? Is this a good and righteous anger that should propel me to act when I see acts of injustice, when I sense systems of racism overtaking individuals so that they don't know and live wholly and completely? And is this anger then propelling me to act? And I think these are good things for us to to check and ask ourselves. And we can use that anger, again, like a tool, like the flame on a stove. It can be used for productive ways. But if we don't watch it, if we don't reflect on it, if we don't really think about it, then they can be used in ways that harm others and harm ourselves as well. So anger isn't necessarily, right off the bat, a negative thing. Another story that was really helpful for me to, uh, a mantra that I've been saying to myself this week, comes from a story that I read in the book Rising Strong by Brene Brown. Urban Village are big fans of Brene Brown. We've talked about her quite a bit, and so if you've never read any of her books, I certainly highly recommend them. Uh, The latest one that she wrote, Rising Strong, I got this story out of this book. One of the reasons I like Brene Brown so much is because, like the Psalms, she totally is vulnerable in her writings. She opens up windows to her behavior and her thoughts. And you think to yourself, how can a New York Times bestselling author, a researcher who should know better, think these things? But she lets you see into her, which is great because I think so many of us have feelings, thoughts that there's no way we want people to know we actually think these things. But Brene Brown does, which is helpful for me and I think helpful for thousands and thousands of others who read it. So she tells this story in Rising Strong about being asked to go and speak uh, at this uh, conference. Now, she says in the book, as she writes this, she says, normally I really, really like to have a room by myself. Now, speaking as one who feels the exact same way whenever I go somewhere and stay at a conference or go on a trip or something like that, other than my wife, I really like to be by myself. I like to not have a roommate. So, all right, and I know that can be a little um, finicky, perhaps, on my part. It's who I am. It's what I am. I've named it. And so when she desires the same thing, I'm like, I'm with Brene on this. So anyway, she goes to this conference, but the conference always has the speaker's room with somebody. And so she has this feeling of internal shame when they literally say to her, well, are you too good to room with somebody else? And so she feels, so she tampers down that desire that she has, and she says, okay, I'll... I'll stay with somebody. She describes, she goes in, and her roommate is is there before she is in the room. And she's sitting on this couch in the hotel, and she's eating this really big cinnamon roll. And so the woman says hello to her, and then before she gets up, she's got this big kind of gooey cinnamon roll on her in her hands. And then before she gets up to greet Brene, she takes the cinnamon roll, um, the, the cinnamon and the sugar on her hands, and she wipes them on the couch. This is in the hotel, which already for Brene Brown kind of uh, invokes some kind of gag reflex. And then the woman doesn't seem to be too bothered by it. And then a few minutes later, the woman goes out to smoke on the patio. And Brene Brown 
begins to say, well, you know, I don't think this is a smoking room. And the woman says, ah, it's, you know, it's outside. It's not my hotel room. It doesn't matter. And so all of these things are just churning within Brene because she's a rule follower, right? And she has things that she wants a certain way. And so she, this anger begins to build up with her. I don't know where it is. If it starts up at irritation, perhaps goes to frustration, maybe even hostility for her. And so after the conference, she, after the, after she speaks, she's out of there. And so she goes and she talks to her therapist about this. And she's still so aggravated at this woman. And she talks to her therapist about this. And she just goes off about the inconsiderate nature of this woman and how she has no sense of propriety for the hotel or for her and all these things. And she's just letting her therapist have it. And she's waiting for the therapist to back her up on this, right? And then the therapist looks really thoughtful. And Brene begins to think, hmm, I'm not sure the therapist is going to back me up on this. And then the therapist says something to her. And she says, you know, Brene, I think people, generally speaking, people are doing the best they can with the tools that they have. And this sets Brene off because she does not believe that for a moment. She does not believe that this woman is doing the best she can with the tools that she has. And so she walks out of that therapist appointment's feeling angry still and frustrated. And so she then begins to do this little research. She's a researcher and she begins to do this little research project on her own. So she starts asking all of these people this question. Do you believe that people are generally doing the best that they can with the tools that they have? And she wants to vindicate her own belief that there are a lot of people who know are not doing the best they can. And so she's asking all these people, and she finally finds this woman who backs her up on this. And the woman agrees with Brene Brown. She says, no, no, I don't believe that people are doing the best that they can. And she says, and she was a fairly new mother, and she says, you know what? Take breastfeeding, for example. And then the woman begins to go off on women who don't breastfeed and how they need to stick with it because it's great for the child and all these kinds of things. And then Brene looks at her, and she realizes something that Brene struggled to breastfeed, how painful it was for her. And Brene was doing the best that she could and trying to breastfeed her children. It, just, it, was, it was hard for her. It was difficult for her. And then big things began to shift for her. And then there was a quote that I love. She talked to her husband. Her husband's a pediatrician. And she asks him the same question. Do you believe that people are doing the best they can with the tools that they have? And then he said this. He said, all I know is that my life is better when I assume that people are doing their best. It keeps me out of judgment and lets me focus on what is and not what should or could be. All I know is that my life is better when I assume that people are doing their best. It keeps me out of judgment and lets me focus on what is and not what should or could be. This mantra that people, generally speaking, are doing the best they can with the tools that they have, and that's a key part of it, I've been repeating to myself over and over and over again. And it has helped, not always, it has helped particularly in relationships that I have with individuals who sometimes just really aggravate me, who frustrate me, uh, and I get to the point where I'm even resentful toward them as well. And then I say this to myself, and whether it's true or not, if I believe it, it helps me to see them with compassion. Now, I have to say, that does not mean that we go through life just saying, oh, it doesn't matter what people do. They're doing the best they can. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them a pass. By no means. And again, it goes back to anger. 
And sometimes anger can be used for positive means. If somebody, if somebody is doing something unjust toward an individual or a group of people, if there is systemic racism or injustice happening, and therefore then that the love of God and love of neighbor is being broken, it's a really hard thing to see the individual who may be doing this or groups of people and saying, well, they're doing the best they can with the tools that they have, and that may be the case. But that does not mean that I then stop and don't work and use this anger as a force for justice and love and peace. But for me anyway, it helps me see them ever so slightly. This is going to be a lifetime project for me. It helps me see them in a little bit more human light. I don't know their story. I don't know how they came to believe what they believe. I don't know what systems of evil have been at work to formulate who they are and what they believe. And I will continue to fight and to make sure that these systems of evil and injustice are eradicated, even in small ways. But what helps me is when I see them and thinking, I believe they're doing the best they can with the tools that they have at this moment. Even though I'm working to change that, it helps. What also helps is to know in the psalm, and if you caught this near the end of the psalm, the psalmist, as much anger as he shows, he also, in some small ways, seeks reconciliation for the people that he talks about. I don't know if you caught this. In verse 16, and here's a really great dichotomy here. In verse 16, the psalmist says, fill their faces with shame. And then he says, so that they may seek your name, O Lord. And then verse 18, let them know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. It's hidden in this psalm, but the psalmist seeks reconciliation for his enemies. He seeks that his enemies will know God, will know the God of truth and love and justice and peace and grace. It is so hard. I find it so hard. And it is, even last night, as we were driving, we went to Ravinia, we went to a concert last night, my wife and I, and we were driving home, and it's like 10.15 at night, and traffic is terrible. It's 10.15 at night, and I'm like, I hate Chicago. I hate Chicago. And so people are driving, and they're, they're in the wrong lane, and I'm honking. I'm honking at people. And we pull off, and I said to my wife, how crazy is it that I'm preaching on anger tomorrow, and I cannot control my anger? Anger is a God-given emotion that should be used in healthy, positive ways so that others, especially those for whom injustices are being done, when the love of God is not being known, when love of neighbor is being, when that commandment is being broken and others are being affected, we use anger to combat this. We watch it closely, but we use it to propel us like Jesus used it as well. We cannot let anger overwhelm us or overtake us so that we take vengeance into our own hands. Anger is a gift. A volatile gift, but a gift. May we use that gift to bring peace and reconciliation. And may God help us to let it not overwhelm and overtake us so that we constantly connect with God and see all as children of God, as worthy of love of God, so that we can use this gift to make sure truly that all can know this love. 
Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening. I, I hope this has been helpful for you in some form or fashion. Um, as always, feel free to reach out to me if you have questions or concerns. Email is chris at urbanvillagechurch.org. Twitter at Christian Kuhn. Always happy to connect in either of these ways. And so I'll be back again next week. And until then, may the peace of Christ be yours. Be thou my wisdom and thou my truth.